Hey, we want to take a moment to say welcome to our online church. Hey, could we give it up to the people watching online? We love you. We long for the day to see you here in person, but we understand while you're online. Hey, comment, like, participate in the stream. We have some awesome people back there that want to engage with you. Just say hello and just uh, let us know where you're watching from. Amen. All right. Hey, um, how many know that yesterday we remembered 20 years from that fateful Tuesday morning? For me personally, I was working at Midway Airport. I was in college. It was a college gig. And um, some people came and I heard a bunch of people rushing for the TV. And as we went, I was standing actually with pilots and they saw what was happening. And it was just an eerie, eerie feeling. How many of you can relate to that? You probably remember exactly where you were. And because I was with pilots, the FAA began alerting people. So I probably earlier than most understood what was happening and the gravity of the situation. And man, our world was just shook, wasn't it? Uh, and I'll never forget to this day uh, at Midway when you were on the field, I used to work on the ramp. I was one of the guys that wore the earmuffs and throw the bags, right? Uh, when we were working there, to, to talk to someone, whether you were just a few feet away, you had to yell, you had to scream, hey, give me that bag. I mean, the person was literally feet away from you. That's how loud it is on the airfield with engines rumbling, planes taking off, machinery running nonstop. And, and, and a few hours after this happened, the airfield, and for those of you who live in this area, it was eerily quiet, wasn't it? And as we walked that airfield, now where I had to scream to somebody who was just feet away from me, a whisper, hey, come here. They could hear me. It's like life stopped. So we want to take a moment today to pray before we get into this morning's message. So would you stand with me? We want to take a moment to pray and to ask that God would move in our lives, that God would move in our communities, that God would move in our country, that God would move in the world. Even though this was 20 years removed from this moment, how many know we need to be praying? The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear your prayers and I will come and I will heal your land. And our land needs healing. So would you join me in praying? Father, we come before you, Lord, in the powerful name of Jesus, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And Father, today we lift up our country to you, God. We lift up the decision makers to you, Father. We lift up those serving and protecting our country, God. We lift up those who respond to tragedy and calamity first, God. We pray, Lord, that as we sang this morning, that a fresh wind would fall upon this country, God. That in a spirit of repentance, God, that we would fall on our knees and acknowledge that you alone are God, that you alone are rightful to be praised and to be worshiped, Lord. And as we pray, God, for revival and for healing in this land, Lord God, would you use us, your church, your people, that scripture says, if my people, not, not, not other people, but if my people, this family of love, would you use us, Lord, to be your hands, to be your feet, to be the salt and to the light 
God, to this world, to this nation that desperately, desperately needs you, God. We pray that your comfort and your peace and your grace would be upon those who lost loved ones on that day 20 years ago, Lord. We know it never gets easier. May the peace that only comes from you, God, overtake them, overwhelm them, God. And again, would you use us to wrap our arms around them, to let them know that we love them, that we stand with them, that we mourn, and that we grieve with them. Do your work, God, as only you can. It's only through your power, it's only through your spirit, God, that any of this is even possible. So we pray today, God. We lift these words to you, Lord, and we know that you hear. Scripture says that you lean your ear unto our words, God. These are not just words that are going into the atmosphere, but they're reaching your throne room in heaven, Father. So hear our prayer today, Lord God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. You can take a seat. So we are in this new series called Rally Today. About five years ago, on a fateful Tuesday evening, a steady rain broke out over the skies of Cleveland. It was a hard rain. It was a rain that caused men to scurry for protection. As the men scurried for protection from the steady rain that broke in this Tuesday evening over the Cleveland sky, they gathered in a small room where they could stay dry, where they could be protected. These men were discouraged. They felt a little defeated. They felt like what they were striving for was slipping from their grasp. In the middle of that meeting of these men, one man stood up and he decided that he was going to remind those men of who they were. He was gonna remind them, hey, you're made for this moment. He was not only gonna remind them of who they were, but he was gonna remind them that they were loved. That regardless of what would play out when they had to leave that room, that he desperately loved them, and that he was there for them, and that they were made for this moment. And let me tell you something, what was really happening in that room was a rally. It was a rally, it was something, those words got deep into those men's souls. So when they emerged from that room, they were no longer defeated, they were no longer discouraged, they were centered, they were focused, they were engaged, and they were ready. And those men shortly after would be champions. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? Show the picture. Your very own Chicago Cubs. Any of you who know me, you know how hard that was for me to do that. <laughs> because my team's colors matched this jersey, okay? I want you to say this with me. This is our church vision. This is our church purpose statement. I want you to repeat it after me. Say, we are a family of love. Say it, we are a family of love. Oh, come on, we gotta do better than that. We are a family of love. We are a family of love. Who cooperates with God. Who cooperates with God. In making fully devoted. In making fully devoted. Fruitful. fruitful followers, of Christ. followers of Christ. That's who we are. This series is 
here to remind us who we are, that we've been made for this moment. I want you to say that part again. We are family. Say that. We are family. We are family. Say it again. We are family. I got all my sisters in me. No, don't, 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 don't. Pastor Mark's watching. Don't say that. Don't say that. You know, after these 18 months, it's difficult to kind of recenter and, and, and regather and have clarity about who you are, about what God's made you to be. And at this church, whether you're visiting here for the first time or you've been here for 30 years, you go back to the days of back of the yards. Um, this is who we're called to be. We're called to be a family of love who's cooperating with the living, reigning, ruling God of the universe, right? To make an impact in this city, far and wide, the suburbs, the city, internationally, around the globe. We're called to be a family of love. And what we've all endured over these last 18 months, it's easy sometimes to lose your way and forget who you are. So, so what we want to do over these next three weeks is remind you of who you are, that we are a family of love. You know, there's many ways scripture describes the church, but the, the most common, the most beautiful to me is when it calls the church a family, a family. Families have issues, don't they? If your family don't have issues, are you really family? But a family of love, we, we got to get back to who we are. A, a key scripture it's from Proverbs 29, 18. This is from the message translation. And it says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. You see, we got to pay attention to what God is doing. We got to be asking the question to God, where are you leading us? We're asking many questions right now. What's next for my family? What's next with COVID? What's next with the government? What's next with my job, with the finances, with everything? But we, we, we miss out sometimes on asking the most essential question of God, what are you doing with me? And if we miss that, we stumble. If you miss what God is trying to do in your life, you stumble. Your marriage stumbles. Your relationships stumble. Your health stumbles. Your life is just this series of missteps, and we miss God along the way. But when we pay attention, the, the scripture there says when we attend to what God is doing, we are most blessed. Now, that word blessed there means fulfilled, joyful, ready. I believe that God has shown us, God has given us a peek behind the curtain, and he's shown us that we are to be a family of love who cooperates with him in making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Christ. So when I say this word church, what do you think of? Do you think of this building? Do you think of a place where you come to for an hour, on, you know, an hour and a half, two hours, depending on who's preaching, on a Sunday? No, the church is not a building. The church is not a gathering. The church is a family. The church is the people, a living, dynamic entity that's infused with the power of the living God to bring change upon the world. And the real believer, the true believer, is a person who not only understands their position in God, but understands their placement in God that he is or she is his child. D.A. Carson, the theologian, says this, he says, a Christian is one who's been adopted by God, brought into the family of God, by all, all by the Son of God, and this changes everything. 
being part of this church family changes everything. The relationships you have here, I would venture to say, go beyond even your blood relationships, even your blood family, because what we share, what we share is beyond the grave. It's eternal. It's forever. And God is longing for you to be part of this family. And this family needs to be marked by the way it loves one another. John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not your knowledge of scripture, not the religious works that you do, not how much you contribute or donate to charity, but the way you love one another will mark to the world that you are my real disciples. The highest supreme ethic of scripture of a God who is love, commanding his people on earth to be a family of love. This idea of loving goes against our American values of individualism, of independence. We value independence here. We value individualism here. We, we, we say, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go out and make it happen for you. And in this country, while there's benefits to individualism and, and independence, there, there, there's a, a blessing, there's an anointing, there's a power of being part of a family of saying, hey, I'm not meant to do life on my own, but you need people. You need family. You're not meant to live life a silo, alone, apart. You need family. And the perfect example of this we see in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles with you, I really hope you do. Let's open them up to the book of Acts, chapter two. And we're gonna be going through verses 42 to 47. This image, this explanation, this, this illustration of a church that's a family of love we see here. We read in Acts 2.42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. These were the people that were there, the church, the early church, and the scripture tells us what they devoted themselves to. Now, as we go through Acts 2, we're going to see that this family of love loved in three directions. Love in three directions. The first example of that love is a love that goes upwards. This was a family who loved God. It says there that they were devoted to Scripture. They were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, which is the Lord's Supper. This was a church that understood their mission and their purpose. Listen. Hear me well, in life, you will have the opportunity to commit to many different things. You'll commit to a career. You'll commit to people, a spouse. You'll commit to a family, your earthly family. You'll commit to your hobbies and your interests. While all those uh, commitments are good, none will be as important as the commitment that you make to God. Not one. Not one will matter when you stand across God on the day of judgment, other than your commitment to God himself. It's through knowing God and loving God that you understand your purpose in life. Do you know what your purpose is? Here's what your purpose is. Your purpose in life is to know and to love God. That's it. 
from living your purpose of knowing and loving God, you get to experience the pleasure of life. What is the pleasure of life? The pleasure of life is saying that I am known and I am loved by God. You see how that works. Your purpose leads to the pleasure of life. By living my purpose of knowing and loving God, I experience the pleasure of life, which is saying I am known to God. God knows me. And God not only knows me, he loves me. That is the pleasure of life. So the first love is the love that flows upwards. It flows upwards, nothing else. Kids, career, your dreams, your Instagram followers, your social media following, none of that will matter more than your love that flows upwards to God. It is your purpose in life to know and to love God. This is why Paul writes to his mentee Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 21, and he says, look, some of these people have missed the most important thing in life. Look, look at this scripture. It says, some of the people, some of the people that you're teaching, that you're engaging with, they're missing the most important thing in life. They don't know God. The most important thing in life is to know God. That word know there in the Greek is the word genosko. Genosko. It literally means to have knowledge of, to, to, to know something, to have um, ideas and understanding of something. But you have to understand the language of how this scripture was written. And when Jesus even taught the multitudes and say, you, you are to know God and to love God, he used this word genesco, genesco, genesco. Genesco is also an idiom. Okay, I, I gotta get into teacher mode here a little bit, but, but an idiom is a part of speech that, that has a double meaning, right? If I were to say to you, hey, I took a test last week and that test was a piece of cake, do I literally mean that the test was a piece of cake? No, 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 what, what does piece of cake mean? It means that something was easy, right? And when Jesus said, you are to genesco God, what he was saying there is that you are, no, you are to know God intimately, genesco, was the idiom for the relations that a husband and a wife would have to make children. Are you following? He's saying, you are no, to know God on this level. Deeply, intimately, connected. You see, knowing God is, is just not having knowledge about God. Knowing him means loving him. And when the people heard Jesus preach this, it freaked them out because to them, God was always an idea that was so far away, right? And maybe you're sitting here today and you say, when I think about God, it's hard for me to understand a God who's close, a God who's personable. I see God as a, as a being who's so far away, so far removed. And Jesus comes and he smashes that paradigm and he's saying, no, you have the opportunity to know God in a deep, personal way. You have to genesco him. You have have to enter relationship with him and Jesus comes and he lives this out he is Jesus what was the name that the, the Bible gives him Emmanuel God what with us 
And Jesus walks life with people and those who were most removed from him, those who felt they were not close to him, those who felt that they were not worthy of him, those are the ones that Jesus goes and touches. So the leper, when everyone was castigating them and marginalizing them, Jesus goes and he touches and he reaches out and touches a leper, right? When the woman who had the issue of blood, Jesus is walking, walking to go heal someone. This woman reaches out in faith saying, if I could only touch, if I could only touch the hem of his garment. And as this woman touches Jesus, Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? I just felt power flow out of me, the power and the touch and the close to God, right? And when there was this woman, they had this dinner with a bunch of religious people and this woman who had a reputation, this woman that people would tisk at and try to put out, this woman entered into this meeting, walked up to Jesus, and with a mixture of her tears and perfume, begins to wash and kiss his feet, and Jesus says, this is what I'm after. Jesus wants deep, close relationship with you. So if you're here today and you feel that your life is tore up from the floor up, listen, grab your perfume, grab your tears, let your hair down, get into the presence of Jesus and experience his life-changing power for you. Their first love was up. They had a deep intimate relationship with God. And if we're going to be the family of love that God has called us to be, our first love needs to go up. Now, some of you might be here and you might be saying, um, you know, hey, how could I love God? After everything I've done, if you know what I did, if you know how I've lived, how could a person like me love God? I'm glad you asked. Or I asked for you. You love him because he first loved you. First John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Listen, brother, listen, sister, the door is open. The invitation has been mailed. The message has been sent. You have opportunity to come and not just know and learn about God, but Janesco, have deep, intimate relationship with him. Now, now how did Jesus display this love for you. Let me explain how Jesus displayed this love for you. Jesus displayed this love as he kneeled there and as the Roman soldiers whipped them 39 times across his back, 13 on one shoulder, 13 on another shoulder, and 13 straight down the middle. That's how he displayed his love for you. Jesus displayed his love for you that when the Roman soldiers were spitting at him, mocking him, right? calling him names, and one of them fashioned a crown out of thorns and jammed it into his head, him bearing that pain. That's how he showed his love for you. Furthermore, Jesus, by carrying this immense wooden cross up a hill, is how he showed his love for you. When Jesus laid with his arms out and they drove those spikes through his wrists and into his feet, that's how Jesus displayed his love for you. And when that Roman soldier finished the job and jabbed that spear into his heart, that's how Jesus showed his love for you. And through his crushing and through the stripes, the Bible says that we are healed, we are brought into this family. How does Jesus show his love for you, he showed his love for you by the cross. What greater love is there than one who lays his life down for his friends? 
So the opportunity is here for you at the end of this service. I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Say, Jesus, I want in to this family. You love me. You've displayed it to me. Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. You're adopted into this family. You are brought into this family of love when you love God, and it's through the power of Jesus that you have a chance to make peace with God. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure to do so. The first love of a family of love goes upwards. We love God. Let's keep reading in Acts 2, verse 43. Talking about this family of love, this, this image, this illustration of a family that loves God. Verse 43 says, a deep sense of awe came over them all. You see the unity there of this church. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, all of them, again, you see the unity there, met together in one place. And they shared everything they had. They sold their possessions, their property, and they shared, they shared the money with those they need, generosity. Verse 46, then they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared meals, again, the generosity of this church, with great joy and generosity. The characteristics of a family that loves in. The second direction in, way in which we love is we love in. We love one another. We love the church family. You see this here illustrated as these people gave and they were united in everything that they did. Now, listen, I, I know for some people, maybe you're watching online or maybe you're, you're, you're here and you're saying, you know what, I love God. I hate the church. I love God. I hate the church. And listen, I understand why some people might have that mindset. There is such a thing as church hurt. And if you're here and you've been hurt by the church or you're watching online and you've been hurt by the church, I just want to say that I acknowledge that hurt. I apologize for that hurt. And I pray that God would lead you to find healing from that hurt. I pray that you would pray to God, that you would find courage to forgive to lovingly confront those who have hurt you, to reflect on what happened, and to make a commitment to love. So if you're a person who says here, I love God, but I hate the church because the church has hurt me, I acknowledge it, but I pray that you find healing. A second group of people who struggle with loving the church are people who just have issues with any institutional organization. How many know that we're living in a time where there's massive mistrust of institutions. We mistrust our government. We mistrust uh, powerful entities, our police, or, or other institutions that have historically been followed. Today, it's in vogue, it's fashionable to not trust those entities. And one of those entities that's losing trust is the church. And people will say, that's a place where people just abuse their power. They just want your money. They just want to do this and that for you. Listen, if you're that person, let me tell you what happens when you have that mindset. When there's mistrust in the church, you become a person who comes here and you want a powerful word, you want great worship, 
You want them to help your kids. You want to maybe attend a group. So you go to church, but you never really belong to the church. You're not part of the family of God. You're around the family, but you're not in the family. The people here in this church, they understood that to love God means to love people, even the dysfunctional people. Like I said earlier, every family has issues. Go to the Bible, the first family, Adam and Eve. Dysfunctional, they had two sons, one murdered the other. Now through the story of scripture, we see this loving father trying to redeem his family back to himself. And if you're one of those people who says, I can't go to church, they're just hypocrites, they're just liars, they just want your money. You know, I love God, but I hate the church. Listen, there's something that's not lining up in your heart. Something that there's incongruency there. And if dysfunction is going to be what keeps you out of the family of God, you'll never be a person who belongs. You'll just be someone who goes. Church is a place where I go, not where I belong. The people here moved past that, and they said the blessing of being part of the family of God is that we get to see God move through our dysfunction. We get to see breakthrough of families being united and marriages being restored and people breaking addictions. Why? Because they submitted to the family of God. They've come under the lordship of Jesus. They become part of the family of God. Now God is moving in their midst. How many of you here have seen God move in families' lives since you've been here? Raise your hand. Look around. Look at all these people. Look at all these people. Dysfunction should not be what keeps you back. There's dysfunction in every organization. But I do want to point out two characteristics in this family of deep love. One is unity. You see there in Acts 2.42 that they were together, they met together. Now what's interesting, it's not mentioned here in this verse, but a close reading of Acts will show you that there was over 18 ethnicities that was part of this first church. I'm not talking about sameness. When I say unity, I'm not talking about sameness. I'm talking about oneness in spirit and mission and purpose. And what I love about our church, what I love about New Life is that in New Life, we're multi-generational. We're multi-ethnic, we're multilingual. We come from all parts of the city. We gather from every corner of the globe here in Chicago and internationally and online, and we are all part of this family of love. So it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, whether you're black or white, whether you vote right or left, whether you, blood, you bleed red or blue, whether you're Cubs or Sox, old or young, north side, south side, city or the burbs, whether you like deep dish or thin crust, <laughs> it doesn't matter, we are all one in the family of God, amen? Unity, unity in the family of God. This is a time to rally, to protect, to strive and contend for our unity. In Psalms 133, the psalmist writes and he says, look how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers, this means brothers and sisters, live together in harmony, in unity. And throughout the psalm, the psalmist describes this unity and he uses two illustrations. He says, one, it's like the oil that would run down the beard of Aaron, right? This anointing oil that had a pleasant smell, which, which, which brought healing to the body, which represented the anointing and the manifest power of God. When people live in unity, when the church operates in unity, it's like this special sweet aroma that's raised to God. You have the opportunity to, to do that. 
when a church flows in unity. The other illustration it says is that unity is like the dew of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is an actual mountain in northern Israel. And all around Mount Hermon, there's dryness, there's desert, and there's no life. But Mount Hermon produces life because this dew, this dew that, 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 that's created because of the elevation of the mountain, produces vegetation and flowers and flora and fauna, right? And it produces life, so there's life in the middle of dryness. And when the church flows in unity, surrounding the church could be dryness. Surrounding the church, it could be barren, but the church could still produce life when it flows in this unity. There's an anointing of God when there's unity in the family of God. And the psalmist ends there and he says, and there, Psalms 133.3 says, and there. Where's the psalmist speaking about when he says there, where there's unity? He's saying there, where the people of God are united, where the people of God are of one accord, where the people of God bear one another's issues, where the people of God come to a place where they belong, they just don't go and attend, but they belong there. There, it says, God pronounces his blessing, even life everlasting. Other translations say that God commands his blessing. Picture God saying, where am I gonna send my blessing? Who am I gonna bless? Hey, there's a church in the city of Chicago that's united, that's of one accord, regardless of the language, regardless of the age, regardless of the background, there, there, power of God, go there. Power of God, bless and move and empower that church. When we're united, we experience the power of God. Now let me fuss about something for a second. Can I fuss a little bit this morning? How do we, as a church that's often divided along racial lines, 11 a.m. is still the most segregated hour in this nation. Sunday mornings at 11, the most segregated hour of this nation. How, how do we, as a church that's often segregated around racial lines, political lines, cultural lines, how, how do we, as a church, that often find ourselves being so divided, how do we get to experience this anointing and this power of God? Listen, let me fuss for a second. I appreciate people's vigor, and I appreciate people wanting to express themselves. But Jesus never promotes, Jesus never promotes pandering to politics, platforms, or pundits. Not once in scripture will you find Jesus promoting that. And, and listen, whatever divisiveness, whatever divisiveness that people try to dish out that's seasoned with a little bit of self-righteousness, a little bit of pseudo-spirituality and, and drizzled with just enough Christianese to make it seem legit, isn't expanding the kingdom. It isn't bringing glory to God. It isn't pleasant aroma to God. You know what it is? It stinks. And it's definitely not refreshing like to do on Mount Hermon. You know what it is? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. So don't be decisive. Don't be the person who wants to strike up division in the church. The Bible says, warn one 
time to a person who's causing division. And after that, have nothing to do with them. The church needs to fight for our unity. If the church is going to be a family of love that loves in, like this church was in the book of Acts, we need to fight and protect our unity. Now more than ever. Have you ever seen someone and you look at them and either by the way they walk or the way they talk, you say, man, you look just like your father. Right? Or just like your mom. Man, you look, you sound just like, your, when you cough, you sound just like your mom. <laughs> Have you ever met people like that? You, you just look at them and you say, oh, you must be so-and-so's boy. Yeah, I knew you were so-and-so's boy. You got that thing about you. Jesus, as he's teaching on the mount, as he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, he tells the people who are listening, this is how you're going to know, or this is how they're going to know that you're my child. This is, this is what you're going to do when they look at you. They'll be like, oh, yeah, you must be a son of God because look at the way you act and look at the way you talk and look at the things you do. I knew God was your daddy. What, what do we do to be so recognizable that when people see you, they clearly know that you are a son of God. Jesus teaches this in Matthew 5, 9. Yeah, it says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called what? The children of God. When you work for peace, peace is the pavement on which the road of unity is built upon. I'm going to say that again. That's good. Peace is the pavement, the foundation upon which the roads of peace, of unity, are built upon. You want unity in your church? Be a person of peace. You want togetherness and oneness of mission, of vision in church? Be a person of peace. Be a person of peace. Not sameness. Remember, there was 18 ethnicities here. Not sameness, but oneness. The second characteristic of this church was that they had a culture of generosity, of giving. They understood the larger picture. They were attending to what God was doing. They listened to it. They followed it. And they were blessed because of it. It's a church who understands that, man, I'm part of something special. God is doing something bigger through me. So like any living body, a body requires investment. A, a body requires that you give to it, that you, that you invest in it, that you pay attention to it, that you have a giving attitude towards it. The church is like any other ecosystem. And in every ecosystem, there's consumers and there's producers. Producers are energized and they bring life. In this church, there's people here you're producing. Man, you're serving, you're loving on people, you're praying, you're using your gifts, you're producing, you're bringing life to this congregation. But in every other ecosystem that exists, and even in the church, there's those who are just consumers. And you know what consumers do in an ecosystem? They take, 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 and they leave their waste behind. Who will you be in this church? Will you be a contributor, or will you just be a spectator? Will you be a person who brings life and energizes other, others? Or will you be a person who just takes, 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 takes and leaves your waste behind? Are you a producer or are you just a consumer? When I came here, 2005, I walked through these doors. And I instantly 
was wrapped in love by a family. I remember going to Nick Vastorella's house for small group, one of the first days I came here, and just being instantly felt like their arms were wrapped around me. I remember meeting people like Phil Flores and Christina who are over here, and instantly, hey brother, hey sister, how could we encourage you? Giving, energizing. I walked in here 16 years ago, never expecting to be a pastor, never expecting to be standing here on this stage, never expecting to be leading two congregations in New Life. But people, yeah, praise God, but people wrapped their arms around me. They accepted in me. They invested in me. They were generous towards me. They loved me to my fullest potential. So here I am, standing before you, so careful when you walk through these doors. What could happen to you? Hey, it's been a beautiful ride. It's been a beautiful ride. Pastor Mark investing in me, pouring into me, mentoring me, showing me, leading me, praying for me. The family of God loves in. We love the church. Is there dysfunction? Yes, there is. Does that stop you? Absolutely not. Because God is going to work through the dysfunction. God's going to work through the brokenness. Man, when you see the places that he'll take you, when you experience this family of love. It's amazing. It's amazing. So let me close. Verse 47 in Acts 2. They say, all the while the people were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So not only are we a family of God that loves up, our love flows in, but our love also flows out. It flows out, outside of these walls, outside of this parking lot, outside of your home, outside of your workplace. It's amazing to me that a church that was so persecuted, that was so challenged, that had so many issues, still the people were praising God, all the while praising God, giving God glory in the midst of darkness, shining like a light in the midst of darkness. All the while, this church was praising God that it got the favor of the people. People began to notice, what is it about you all? Your love for one another, your love for your God, the way you share with one another, your unity, your generosity began to attract attention from the outside. And isn't that just like us? When you have peace, when everyone else at your job is freaking out about pink slips and layoffs, you have peace. Why? Because you know who's on the throne. You know who's going to provide for you. God is faithful. So they ask you, hey, brother, hey, sister, how could you be so calm? They look at you strange. Has anyone ever looked at you strange? And they'll ask you the question, what is it about you? How could you act this way? Everything here is falling apart. There's a global pandemic. There's racial injustice. There's all these problems happening in the world. But yet you're peaceful. Yet you're calm. Yet you have joy. How? What is it about you? Hey, I'm just praising God. I'm just thankful to be here today. And this is what we do. And this is what the church did. It, it, it pointed not people to ourselves. They didn't say, well, here, let me tell you my 15-bullet plan of how I maintain joy in a global pandemic. All the church did is said, Jesus. You want to know how I'm able to stay calm in the midst of all this craziness? Let me point you to Jesus. 
You see, because the light you see here isn't really even here. We are like the moon, okay? I have a picture of the moon here. The moon has no light. The moon doesn't generate any light. There's no light-giving source in the moon. What the moon does is the moon reflects the light of the sun, the S-U-N, sun, right? Astronomy, the sun. The moon cannot generate light, but yet people every evening around the world gather and they look up and we marvel at this beautiful shining object in the midst of a dark sky and we say how beautiful, how amazing, how lovely. Hey, there's no light in that moon. That's just the light that's reflecting from the sun. And in the same way to the world, we need to be like that moon that when we step out in times of darkness, in times of brokenness, in times of need, hey, it's nothing special about us. We can't generate light. It's the light of the S-O-N, Son of God, shining on me that I'm reflecting back out to you. So don't give me glory, give God glory. You're like the moon. Reflect his light in the times of the most dark seasons in life. The body of Christ, the church of the living God, this family of love has always risen up to be a light in the darkness. Just like we've been doing here in Chicago for the last 18 months. Feeding hundreds of thousands of people. Giving away millions of pounds of food. We just did it yesterday in this parking lot. Hey, you're shining bright in the darkness. And we don't point people to ourselves. You point people to Jesus. You point people to Jesus. It's him. It's him at work in you. It's him working through your issues. So let me give you three quick applications, and then, then, then we're going we're gonna to worship. So what does this look like, to be a family of love that loves up, that loves in, and that loves out? Here's three quick applications for you. And I'm going to do them in reverse order. I'm going to go in reverse. So to love out, to be this, these people who are light in the darkness, who are salt and light, and Jesus' hands and feet. Hey, you could volunteer. Volunteer. You want to be a church, a family that loves out? Volunteer. The next food pantry, sign up. Vilma will love you for it. Sign up for it. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Hey, how about hosting a new family? You see a family that's here, that's been coming to church. Maybe you said hello to them, right? Maybe they don't know anybody here. Go say hello to them. Introduce yourself to them. Show them that you're a family of love. Wrap your arms around them. Invite them into your home. Break bread with them. And the easiest way you could be a family of love who loves out is invite people to church. Listen, if there's a week that goes by that you don't invite somebody, I would, I would kind of work on that. There shouldn't be a single week that passes by that you're not reaching out to someone saying, hey, you know what, I'm part of this church. Would you come visit with me? We'll sit together. I'll introduce you to a few people. It shows how we love out. Volunteer, host a family, invite someone to church. How are we a family that loves in? Hey, invite a family to your home. Join a group. We're having taste the small groups today. Can all the small group leaders and assistants just raise your hand really quick if you're a small group leader or assistant here. Take a look around. These are the people you want to get to know. Yeah, can we give it up for them? 
they are living examples of people who are loving in, of saying, hey, I will invest in you, I will pray for you, I will lead you, I will teach you, I'll take you to the steps of baptism. These are people who are loving in, loving the church in unity and generosity of giving their time, their talent, and their treasure to bless you. Join a group. It's how we love in. It's how we love in. And another way of loving in is, hey, have that difficult conversation. If you have anything against somebody here, your conscience is not clean. It's hard to come here and worship with a free spirit and a free mind knowing that you have something against someone. So a way to love someone is to have a difficult conversation at times and say, hey, I need to talk to you. Would you forgive me for what I've done to you? That builds unity. It shows generosity from you. So it's one of the ways that we love in. Now what about loving up? I'm gonna invite the worship team to join me here. What about loving up? 1 John 4, 7, 8 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Genesco. But anyone who does not love does not Genesco God, for God is love. How do you come to love God? We love God, we learned already, because he first loved us. On the cross, Jesus took the price of your sin, put it upon himself so that you could have peace with God, so that you could have this relationship with God. You've been adopted into the family, remember that, through Christ Jesus. For some of you today, I'm gonna give an invitation for you to take your first step towards loving God. You'll be able to respond to say, God, I understand that you love me and, and I just wanna learn how to love you. You come to love God by pursuing him. You see, you just can't say you love God without pursuing him. When I met my wife 28 years ago, I pursued her with the best of what I had which was a date to Wendy's. <laughs> I was 19, I was broke, I was in college, but it was the best of what I had. Now times have changed, I could, I could give her a whole lot more than a dinner to Wendy's, right? But when you first come to, to Jesus, hey, pursue him with the best that you have. And for some of you, the best that you have right now is gonna be to respond to this call, to come to say, God, here I am. That's the best of what you have. Hey, pursue him with the best of what you have. Whatever you have today, pursue him with the best of what you have today. Hey, you will grow, you will mature, you'll be able to pursue him with more and more and more, just like I pursue my wife with more and more and more every year that we're together. The third thing to do to love God, to love up, is to commit to him. Hey, every relationship, no matter what relationship, requires commitment. Requires that you commit to it, that you give your full self into it. Man, don't miss out on the most important thing in life. 
to know and to love God. Can we stand? So here's the moment. We've said this is a time to rally, to be reminded of who we are. We're a family of love. And for those of you that are here today, or you're, maybe you're watching online, you're saying, I'm not sure if I'm part of this family. Remember what Ephesians 1.5 says, that we're adopted into this family through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Through the sacrifice of the cross, it was in God's good pleasure to bring you into this family. And listen, I don't want to close this service without giving you an opportunity to know without a shadow of a doubt that you're part of God's family. We are all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. Love God. Pursue. Pursue him with the best of what you got today. Commit, commit, commit your life to him today. He wants you to experience him. He wants to love you. He wants to heal you. He wants to wrap his arms of love around you. He wants to fill you with purpose, with life. But it takes you to respond. So here's what we're going to do. If you're here and you're listening and you're saying, man, today is that day. I, I, I need this rally in my life. I need to be reminded that I'm here, that God has a purpose for my life, to know and to love him. So if you're here in this place, you can hear my voice, or maybe you're watching online. Hey, if you're watching online, would you respond to this also? Would you just let us know, pray for me, pray for me. I want to receive Jesus today. I want in on this family of God. So here's what we're going to do before we get into this song of worship. If you're here and you're saying that you know you need to give your life to Christ today, today's your day of surrender. Today's the day you begin to love, pursue, and commit. I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. A simple response. Just put your hand up anywhere in this room. If you're saying, today's the day I want to give my life to Christ. God bless you if you have your hands up. Hey, keep your hand. No, keep them up. Keep them up. You're not putting them up to me. You're putting them up to God. You're not committing to this church. You're not committing to anything. You're committing to God. All right, with this commitment, let me tell you, comes a step of boldness. This church was blessed because they were bold. They were bold in everything that they did. So if you raised your hand this morning, if your hand came up, I'm going to ask you to do something bold without hesitation, without thinking of it. God bless you. More hands are going up over here. God bless you. Thank you for being bold. Thank you for saying yes to Jesus. Yes to this family of love. I'm no longer an orphan. I'm no longer by myself. I want to not just go to church. I want to belong to this family. I don't want to belong to this family. God bless you. But here's the, 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 the bold step. Here's the bold step. I'm going to ask you to come to this altar just as you are now. If you have your hands up, come on out. Come on out. Come forward. Come forward. Be bold. Take a step. Come on out of your seats and make your way up here. God bless you as they're coming. God bless you. Come, come, right there with your hands up. Come, God bless you. Taking a step into the family of God. Right up here, right up here. 
right up here. There's somebody here. They want to pray for you. Hey, we're a family that loves in. We want to love in. There's going to be someone that's going to pray for you to encourage you to say thank you for saying yes to the family of God. Man, isn't this beautiful to see people saying yes to God? Hey, anyone else? You're saying, I want to love up. Don't miss out on the most important thing in your life. To know and to love God. Hey, those who are here, thank you. Thank you for coming up. God bless you. Hey, would you pray this prayer with me if you're here? And listen, as I pray this prayer, you're saying this prayer at your seat. You're praying this prayer at your seat. Would you help me shame the devil? And would you come up here, even as I'm praying, even as I'm praying, if you're praying this prayer at your seat, hey, come up and join with us up front. There are people who are saying yes to the family of God, yes to Jesus. I'm not going to let this function hold me back. I'm not going to let my brokenness hold me back. If Jesus touched the leper, he'll touch me. If Jesus stopped for a woman who had an issue for 12 years, hey, he'll stop for me. If his power flowed out for her, it'll flow out for me. Healing is here. Restoration is here. Your rallying cry is here. You might be discouraged. You might be defeated. But God is on the throne. Hey, for those who are here who are praying, would you just pray this prayer with me? Okay, I want to hear your voices. Pray this prayer with me. Just say, Dear God, I come to you now just as I am. You know my life. You know how I've lived. Today, God, I repent and I turn from my old ways of living. And I say yes to you, Jesus. Fill my life with your spirit, with your power, and with your love. Today, I commit to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And isn't God good? Hey, as they're getting prayed over here, let's continue in worship.